Today is Monday, February 26, 2024, and let us begin properly. Achenu kol beit Yisrael hanatunim b'tzara b'shivyom dim bein biyam bein biyabasha bein b'avya hamakom yirachem aleihem v'yotziyem b'tzara levacha me'efeila le'ora mishibad legula hashto b'agala v'zman kariv v'noma amen. The Yebishter should be kind. We're losing the finest young men every day including we thought we had uh, North uh, Asia totally cleared. It's battles are going on there. Regarding uh, the big issue which is exploding in front of us now, the drafting of Haredim, so I have to mention in this alone for this week from Machon Meir, there's a wonderful article by Rav Shlomo Avinea, and I'm proud to say someone finally quotes the Gemara. I've quoted all along the Gemara in Megillah, Daf Gimel, that being a Talmud Chacham and learning and fighting in the army and being a great soldier, one does not exclude the other. They have to be done together. The Malach who comes to Yehoshua. So I'm happy to see I'm not the only one that knows that Gemara. Um, the, the question of uh, yesterday's share, I just let me spend a few minutes because I never got more emails. I first of all I have to thank Yomo. He puts it up right away and already by, I would say, six uh, right when I came home after Marav, I looked at my emails and I had a flock of emails on uh, yesterday's share. Uh, it's a quirk. In other words, uh, a question like that is not halakhically earth-shaking. Uh, the girl is teaching for the sake of argument in Beishakov Seminary very successfully and her parents want her to come into the family business. And uh, the opinions about Rabbi Klein's answer go all the way from people who totally disowned him or even some trying to justify him. Uh, one of those who disowned him in very sharp language I emailed him back this morning your problem is you are a Chabadnik and you're influenced by the Lubavitcher Rebbe and the Lubavitcher Rebbe would certainly have disagreed with Rebbe Nasha Klein uh, but then I got an interesting question do you know, ask me, Rebbe, do you know of any other postsake who would deal with such quirky shyness? I'll tell you, generally speaking, no. They only deal with the earth-shaking shyness, Aguna, Shabbos, Kashrit, etc. Rebbe Moshe has a quirky shyness, and that's the one that I've often quoted. It's in Yoruday, I believe it's the, first, it's the first volume on Yoruday. I believe it's Trivet Sadi, where he doesn't give the name of the person who asked. And it's obvious why he doesn't give the name. Rabbi Menashe Klein also didn't give the name on the tshuva we dealt with yesterday. But Rabbi Moshe, the shayla was, remember I told you, or maybe in the Sunday class, the shayla was, this guy is going with this girl, and he wants to know if she's a good housekeeper. So he wants to rent in a kachalain. Can't Up in the mountains, then Jews weren't wealthy enough to rent an entire bungalow. So they rented bedrooms, and everyone cooked. Everyone had on the stove. One burner was theirs. 
So he's going to rent the room, he's going to rent the bed with the men, She'll rent, he'll rent for her bed with the women, and he's going to check how she cooks and how she makes the bed, how she cleans up. And Rabbi Moshe basically tells the guy, what are you, an idiot? And he, and he, there's no problem here, it's not your own wife, there's no hachaka. But uh, anyone can fetch you out, a girl will cook one day and the rest of your life you'll be eating from a can. <laughs> And, and making the bed. So you see, Rav Meisha did deal with it, and he gives advice afterwards what to look for when you get married. I've often quoted that shiva. It's a terrific shiva. But you, occasionally a quirk comes up. But I would say this, I never saw a higher percentage of quirky shilas than by Rav Menashe Klein. He answers everything, and everyone turns to him from Yu to Satma and everything in between. Lakewood tells you saw where you got Shilas to him. So it's fascinating. Then I got another question, and uh, 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 Fraim Lustig asked me uh, that his son asked him, all right, the difference in some writing Shiva, but does someone who writes like Ravavadja reach the same conclusion and the truth is, you have many postkim who write in different ways and do reach the same conclusion. But you, but Ephraim, you might want to check the shaila of a rain hat covering, covering a strimer with plastic. There, Reb Meisha was machmia, and Reb Menashe Klein was mekil. See if Rabbi Vajja deals with it. I have a feeling Rabbi Vajja also was mekil. So you see, it it does conclude the same way. Also, with the whole question of an Erev in a big city, Rabbi Vajja is much more inclined to Rabbi Menashe Klein's opinion than to Rabbi Meishu. And you can check it out. I recall there's something there with Los Angeles. I remember years ago I, I dealt with all this. But okay, that's as far as yesterday. Uh, as far as the past, I want you to know I don't make things up. I've often said that uh, when the Lubavitcher Rebbe came to America, so the plan of the Hasidim was to take him to Lakewood, and there in Lakewood there was a wealthy Jew of Chabad origins, and he was willing already to give his home to the Rebbe, and uh, the whole idea was that the Rebbe would live in Lakewood, and uh, once a month they would fabrain with the Hasidim, but there was nothing to do in America. I believe the name, I just want to see, uh, Charles Paston was the name of the Hasid. And the Rebbe Taka went to Lakewood. Someone found this from the Jewish press of that time. It's, it's 1940. Chabad Rabbi Schneerson will reside in Lakewood. And that was the original plan, and the Rebbe saw in Lakewood, uh, he can't do anything at Kenish Aptonepis Fateda, and he said to his key Hasidim, what's the fanciest area in New York? And that's how he got to Crown Heights. Crown Heights then, they did an, expl- an exploration, and they said, the Rebbe, the biggest conservative temple, Rabbi Israel Leventhal, the son of Rabbi Leventhal of Philadelphia, was Rav of the Jewish center and in Crown Heights and they said that is the fanciest neighborhood, the wealthiest Jews live there and the Rebbe said find the location, we're going to open a shtibble there and the rest is history. Okay. Um, 
regarding uh, the volume that I have quoted a number of times already, the Makov Baruch uh, by Baruch Halevi Epstein, the memoir volume. So uh, I've spoken about this over the last uh, 50 years or whenever it happened, more than once, but uh, I, I guess uh, to me it's one class in 78, but it could be you didn't hear. So um, my Talmud Beryl uh, Phillips said you should make it clear what this volume later creates. And this takes us to Lakewood. And in Lakewood, there are many Chadarim, but this is one of the earliest Chadarim. And it was a fundraiser. And in order to raise funds for the Cheda, they sent out an English translation of part of the volume, a very small part, my uncle Dinitziv. Do you remember this, this story? And they sent out my uncle Dinitziv. It's a translation from Makabarach, and all hell broke out. This is what you published. The, the man gossiped. This is, the children should see this how the Nitziv, his wife, the students, how they treated his wife, what went on, and that the Nitziv reads a paper, a newspaper, it's a Friday night, and Nebuch, the poor Cheder in uh, Lakewood, had to recall the volume, offering you a refund of any money you contributed. So be aware that when I quote the Makabarach, this is the same volume that, it's three volumes, my set, I think it was republished today, it's two volumes, it's about 1,500 pages. He, 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 to, a fabulous memoir, totally different than the Torah Tamima. His Torah Tamima is organized on every Pasuk, what Hazal say, his commentary, his memoir is a challenge. It's not a potato kugel like Professor Tarrigan makes make a potato kugel. It's not a challenge. It's a potato kugel. A challenge. You have bedlach and beans and potatoes and onions. And if you, I did when I did basic training, the challenge was in accordance with the Sephardic tradition. We had eggs in the challenge as well. It was fabulous. So uh, is his makabarach totally mixed up? History, hashkafa. Divrei Torah, Chidushim, jokes, everything is there. And you, and you have to pull out what you're interested in. So they pulled out Michael Dinitziv, and boy, did that become a controversy. Okay, now, let me pick up where we left off. And uh, today's shir will be quoted and built upon this Rat Hashem. It'll take me about 20 more years. But everything until now, we've st scratched the surface with the way Velazhin began. I don't believe I'll be finished with Velazhin by the time it's Beer Chomets. It may be by Matan Torah. But there's so much to talk about. So much positive. Don't have to tell you. Velazhin, the Rav, why you? We all look back to Velazhin. That's the start. Mecca, Sarav, Lakewood, etc. But something happened in Velazhin in the early 1850s that colors 
Lithuanian Torah history for at least the next 70, 80 years. When we come to Tells, when we come to Slapatka, the Machloikasim, the students, the yelling, the shouting, the disgraceful actions in the yeshiva proper, the Panavichurav leading the rebellion in Tells. Believe me, in Tells today, I don't know if they talk about this. It all goes back to what happened in Velazhin in the early 1850s. Now, Rav Nassim Kamenetsky has presented a lot of this material, and uh, this is one of the reasons, uh, and it, it hurts me when I talk about it, because Rav Nassim was a good friend, and we, we loved each other. I understood the twinkle in his eye, if you read me. And I'm sure it shortened his life. He should still be with us. He published that. So then the whole question is, do you publish the truth? and Do you leave out? Look, when you publish history, it has to be truthful. Do you have to say everything? No. But the crux and the gist and the main issues, you do have to publish. We're, we're writing history. We're not writing fairy tales. I have faced this challenge many times. And let me let, and let, me let my hair down. When uh, they assigned to me to do the research on Rabbi Revel, which changes my whole life. When I look back, uh, you know, when I apply Faliyah in uh, 68, Hanukkah time, go to the Jewish agency, I told them I'm a rabbi, I have a doctorate in Jewish history, they laughed at me. I remember I told you, rabbis are sweeping streets in Jerusalem and guys with doctors in Jewish history work in the zoo in Tel Aviv, which happened to be true, by the way. Tova Lichtenstein Mitzat, her mother, her cousin, had a doctorate, but they didn't tell me he ran the zoo. He was one of the top people there, not just the zookeeper. So when they assigned the doctorate, they said to me, uh, uh, Rabbi Landa says, look, Arnold, you're going to find that yeshiva had a nasty scandal in 1935. Don't publish anything about it. It could harm the yeshiva. And you won't believe it. When Mrs. Revel gave me the Revel archives, my wife just asked if you're here, when Mrs. Revel gave me the Rebel archives, um, the first thing I found were the papers on the scandal. So uh, what was the scandal? The dean of the college, who was not a Shema Shabbos, was having an affair with a secretary who was an Eshetish. And uh, I, I said, you know, they're right. Why should I publish this? It's nothing germane to the yeshiva's history. It's a sideshow. And I, I didn't publish it. I can tell you that I was very friendly with the members of my committee, uh, Abe Duca, uh, let me think back, Hi Greenstein was the chairman, Abe Duca, and Sidney Honig. And we bonded, we became very good friends, particularly Sidney Honig, because his sister lived in 18 Berlin from the day it opened together with us. 
So uh, Hi Greenstein was, I, again, I, these are people I recall, never married, total scholar, the nicest person alive. And whenever we'd get together and we'd let our hair down, he said, Rabarin, you should know, they f- he fathered a mamsa, and they said, Tish, I know who the mamsa was. He went to TI. We gave him a full scholarship. But I'll never reveal his name. So I showed him in uh, Evan. I said, this is correct. You're not supposed to reveal your name. Yomo, the, the, the email, the, 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 this went off. The, the Zoom. I, why, why do we have these problems? Connecting. Thank God you're here. See how firm we are? When you go back to Passaic, tell them that they don't touch the Zoom unless they have Tefillin on. That's how firm we are. This is not important. I found all the correspondence. The poor guy, the wife of the guy carrying on, she was writing to Revel, do something, stop him. Uh, she describes that her, her sons were working on the concourse and they saw him in the car with the, with the, with the secretary. I mean, a disgrace, a disgrace. And Rabbi Revel afterwards had a very hard decision to make because uh, students knew about it, the commentator knew about it, already he had a commentator. And finally, he kicked him out of the college. He remained principal of the high school, but kicked him out of the college. So a lot of times I was asked, why did Rabbi Revel make this compromise? I said, look, without his help, Yeshiva College would never have gotten off the floor because he had the connections. He was an East Side kid, second generation immigrant, and uh, he had a PhD from Columbia University in biology. He was an expert on the tsetse fly, the sexual reproduction of the tsetse fly, I believe was his doctorate. So he had the connections. So I said, Revel on one hand was Makatoiva. On the other hand, a big position, dean of Yeshiva College, is not right. They kept him principal of the high school. Did you say seventh generation or seventh? Well, I can't have a second. Did you say seventh? Second, second generation. Second generation. Okay, so can we go... W- w- what's the problem? Can, can we go to your... Uh, is it a problem here? Well, Yoma, what are we doing? So it's not... It's a problem in the whole building. Yes. So can we go via your phone? Yes. I, this so hurts me. People are awake all night. There are people on there from Chicago and New York. They, they should move here. But they're what, what? They should move here? No, all right. That's uh, a terrorist from Bubba. Just as a situation, I heard this from Rabbi Wine sort of about wearing a plastic on the hat. On Shabbos, he says, you're wearing a hat to protect your head. If you cover it with plastic, you're not wearing it to protect your head. It's a, it's a, um, it's a what do you call it, a top sheet. A man can't carry a tachshit on shabbos. It's a tachshit. Yeah, but you're wearing the plastic to protect the hat that protects your head. You wear a hat to protect yourself, not. So Reb Moshe Asad. Yeah. 
It's a, it's, it's a bit difficult to understand Rav Meisha because we wear rubbers on shoes, on socks, and uh, Rav Meisha said, but uh, what uh, Rav Menasha Klein was matir was a big machoikis bismanog. But I think halachala Meisha today, they do wear the plastic. That, that one out. What? No plastic? No. How was the teal yesterday? Very God, you saw what's going on. But the, many of the army units are out, meaning uh, you didn't come into my grandson's unit. They all let out now with a date to come back May 18th. And the uh, reservists bonded. Uh, this I spoke about this yesterday on past Friday. My grandson, the command, tank commander, was in a tank for four months his whole unit, these are all reservists, older people, they had a whole family reunion. My daughter was there, and uh, she said it was just beautiful, beautiful. It was in the, Ari, the Ariel Sharon Park, and uh, it was beautiful. Uh, in the center of the country, it was Erev Shabbos, and it couldn't have been more beautiful. Uh, uh, one of the Rabbanim spoke from the unit, and uh, parents spoke, and never from that unit a boy fell. A boy fell from Nachalim, and uh, his parents spoke. And uh, what we go through. Uh, so what? What's happening? Uh, we're connecting. We're connecting. We're back. Recording in progress. I, I apologize to everyone on the screen. I feel very bad. I, I don't know if I have a bigger crowd. I think, I think I have a bigger crowd on the screen than in front of me. And I just want to mention that... Uh, I apologize. So, let me come back. You're, you're muted. I can't hear you. Oh. One second. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yep, we can hear you now. Okay. Okay, thank you, Jack. So I just want to apologize. Uh, There was a breakdown here in the internet. It wasn't just in this classroom, but Yomo tells me in the whole building. And I cracked a joke that you will enjoy. You can't, Yomo, show yourself. Lean over, please. I said. If anyone in Lakewood criticizes YU, let them know we're so from that when Yomo plays with the internet, he's in Tefillin. We only allow technicians with Tefillin. Okay, coming back here. We, we, we lost you when you talked about Sydney Honig. Uh, Bonnie, around there is where we lost you. Oh, God, Sydney Honig. Oh, so I became very close with the people on my uh, committee for my doctorate, and Sidney Honig later, his sister lived here. He Quite often we went to shul together, went to the cultel together, etc. And uh, yes, I was told not to publish anything about the scandal in 35. The first thing I discovered when I got the Revel archives from Mrs. Revel were all the papers about the scandal. And the scandal had to do with uh, one of the people, actually the dean of the college, who was not religious, having an affair. He was ahead of his times. Today it, it wouldn't be such a scandal, but in '35 it was a big scandal, uh, uh, having an affair with an Eshadish, who was a secretary. And uh, when I found the papers and I went through it, 
I reached the decision, you know, they're right. There's no need to publish this. It's not germane to the yeshiva's history. So sometimes you can leave out details. But what's basic and important, one has to be honest. Now, what happened in the early 1850s, and yes, you'll get an answer to your question in a minute, what happened in the early 1850s is not only important to the Russian, but it becomes part of the entire history of the Lithuanian yeshiva for the next 70, 80 years, and there may be a remnant of it until today. Now, I want to introduce you to another volume. Uh, it, it, people ask me... Uh, how long did it take you to prepare the Shia, the lecture? I always answer 80 years, 81 years. You understand, it's a lifetime of learning. I was five, six when I started learning with your father, your I, uncle. I don't think what, what? Okay, it, keep, it, keep, it keeps pausing. It keeps pausing, everyone. Okay, let's hope for the best. Uh, right you, now you're, 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 you're you, frozen. Image is frozen. Image is frozen. All right, whatever you can, pick up pick up on whyutorah.org, okay? Uh, that That is working. It's recording right in front of me. Okay. The, 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 the sound here is working. Everything is working here. You know, anything we can do to... <laughs> The image is frozen, but the sound is working. So there's nothing we can do. Uh, Yomo, Yomo's taking off his tulin, so that's a bad sign. Okay, let me continue. Why is uh, it a bad sign? What, excuse me? Why is it a bad sign? It's a bad sign because to work on it as a technician, we said in YU, we require the, our technicians to wear tulin when they work on Zoom. Let me, let, let's go. Let, let, me, let me roll. Okay. So, um, I, I, you see... I've picked up so many different volumes over the decades, and each volume contributes. I want to introduce you to a new volume that only in Israel could you have a volume like this. It's called Yeshiva Glitter, Pirkei Zichronot. It's memoir literature about the Yeshiva Glitter. It was published by Mekha Shazar. It's quite a number of years ago already. The two editors, Professor Emmanuel Etkis, and I think he's a professor already, Professor Shlomo Tukachinsky. Now, why did I say this could only happen in Israel? These two individuals are yeshiva boys from the real traditional yeshiva. Etkis is a product of Hebron. Tukachinsky, I'm not certain, may have been Panovich. You may recognize his last name. They came from Gedolei Yisrael. They themselves are first-rate Talmidei Chachamim. But they broadened. They went on to do research, to get doctorates. I know Tukachinsky, if I'm not mistaken, it's Hebrew U, but it could be Barilan. Etkis, I'm sure, is Hebrew U. And they remained in the world of academic Torah scholarship, which is icing on the cake. They put together all the memoir literature they could come up with in the yeshiva 
Lithuanian what happened. And one of the greatest chapters, beginning on page 81, is by an author by the name of Shmuel Leib Tzitron. Tzitron in English would be C-I-T-R-O-N. We do have from people Citron. There was a famous Yeshiva College basketball player, Jay Citron, who lives down the block from me. He's married uh, to a lady from Chicago, the daughter of a rabbi, uh, who was specific Shani for her. She, I believe she was a divorcee, and we married very nicely in Baruch Hashem. Maybe people from Chicago know the family. And uh, could be it's his family. Now, this individual, Shmuel Leib Citron, learned in Velushin. Later, he became a Moskil, became a Hebraist, became a Zionist, a uh, member of Chibatzion. He broadened. But Velushin was always part of him. And he wrote a very detailed memoir. From, he tells the story when he came to the Lushen, they were still talking about the big Machloket in 1853, 1854. And he wrote a beautiful description of this Machloket. Now, what happened was, and here I just want to restate what I said last week. Rabbi Yitzhak Velushin needed an assistant. He chose Rabbi Fried, Eliezer Yitzchak Fried. That was his assistant, the son-in-law. Another assistant was Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin, a son-in-law. And I mentioned last week the family structure. Rabbi Fried was actually a grandson, a blood relationship, the Nitziv, married into the family. He married a granddaughter of Reb Chaim, a daughter of Reb Yitzchak, but he was an outsider. And uh, at first he wasn't accepted. He was a tremendous matmid, a little different than the Velazhinas. It wasn't accepted. And no one really knew how great he was. The feeling in the family was maybe he should go into business. He wasn't the Nilu. He wasn't. Uh, I, I just read the uh, Talmud came up in America and archives came up with a letter that Rav, the Mashkich of the Yeshiva wrote uh, when I wanted to go to Lakewood. There were three other fellas. We all from YU wanted to go to Lakewood. Rav Lesson wrote, I believe it was to Rav Schneer Katla. That uh, and, and he writes about each one of us and my chaver Chaim Nobles hurts everyone I know everyone I knew everyone they're all gone I'm like uh, a, a, I hope I'm a decent tree producing fruit but all the other trees are gone so he writes about Chaim Noble that he's an Ely you follow doesn't write that about me doesn't write that about deer there was a fourth name there I have to look at the letter again doesn't write that. Chaim was an Ewe. You could see right away. Very sharp, put together. Mechadesh. The Nitziv was not like that. But then they found correspondence between the Nitziv and Rabdavid Luria and what a gone, what bekeered, what knowledge. So you had two sons-in-law. 
no one has, as Rabbi Belkin used to say, no one has a mortgage on the Rebbeinu Shalaylam. Don't know how long you're going to live. Rav Fried died young. But before he died in 1853, he already was sick. Right, you said that the, the, the correspondence of David Lurio that Sid, or was it Yitzhak? That's it, no, that's how they discovered that it's Sid, that he had come in Swanson with Dublin, they saw a Rav, this famous Rav, and then it's so the family discovered it, or you're saying later? Uh, no, no, it was discovered at that time. The family discovered the correspondence, they saw what he's writing, and they knew already uh, that he's a great Talmud Chacham. Yes, he's a matmid, he's a little bit uh, reticent, but he has the goods. He was not an Eloi. Reb Chaim Voloshin was an Eloi. Reb Yitzchak Voloshin was, you would say, Yeshua Halvan Eloi. Like, I made the comparison to Reb Shnur and Reb Baran that you should appreciate. That was the comparison. But, Reb, but Yitzchak Eliezer Fried was sick. And he, the Nitziv becomes more dominant. Now, while all this was happening, there's another grand son-in-law of Rabbi Yitzchak. And this is Rabbi Yoshua Heshel Levine. This is who we mentioned last week. Now, Rabbi Yoshua Heshel Levine married, Bezivik Shani, by the way, he was married first, then she died very young in childbirth, he married again, the daughter of the son of Rabbi Yitzchak, I don't want to give you all the names, it's confused, Rabbi Eliyahu Zalman, he was the son of Rabbi Yitzchak Voloshina. now if you recall, I told you, Rabbi Eliyahu Zalman, the son of Rabbi Yitzchak, he was a businessman, a very successful businessman, and he was not interested in being the Rosh Yeshiva in Velashen. His son-in-law, Rabbi Yahushua Heshelavim, was already an Adam Gadol with very big yichis. He was a direct descendant of the Mashar. He referred to himself as Yayin ben Yayin. And he was a big Talmud Chacham. Now, he lived in Vilna, and this is what you have to understand. Between Vilna and Volozhin, it's like comparing, I grew up in Kalamazoo, Michigan, or I grew up in Washington Heights, Golden Era, Crown Heights, Golden Era. The big difference. He grew up in Vilna. And this is what I told you last week. Remember, I ended off the class he already was influenced by modernity. And last week's lecture, very important, Velashin didn't exist in a vacuum. There is no vacuum in the modern world. Once you have newspapers, and today, when I grew up, the radio and newspapers, television, today the computer, I don't have to tell you. I can say something in Jerusalem, and I'm getting comments on it from all over the world within hours. It's a different world today. As you know, when the army fights, they take videos of what they're doing so no one can accuse them of war crimes. So even in the 1840s, we didn't live in a total ghetto. There's no such thing as a ghetto today. 
not in Lakewood, not in Palm City. It's a big world. It affects us. Rav Yehoshua Heschel Levine was a great Tamatacham, a Haredi, a Yerushalmiyim, but already enlightened, already seeing the need, and he originally criticizes the Lushan. He wants to come in. He wants to become Rashi Shiva. He married into the family. He has the same claim as Dinitziv. Dinitziv is married to the granddaughter of Reb Chaim, and he's married to the granddaughter of Reb Chaim. You see, it's, 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 it's the same claim. They're, they're not blood relations, but they're in the family. And compared to the Nitziv, his Yichis, a, a Nur Einikul, a great-grandson, a great-great-grandson of the Masha? Wow. And what did he want? So we ended off the class last week. What? Uh, Volushin. You have to have gradation. You don't have just the base medrash, everyone learning. One sheer, if, if you want to go. No. Great Aleph, Great Bet, Great Gimel, Great Dalit. To us, this is axiomatic. This is, uh, how can I, it, it, it's so rational. How can you run a yeshiva without grades? And, and, and th- these, this is what he requires, and different teachers, and each level, and, and exams. How can you run an institution without exams? How do you know the student is real? How do you know he's studying? How do you know he deserves to go ahead? To us, this is axiomatic. In order to get into YU, I told you I had an exam with Reb Mendel Zaks. I was a frightened little kid, the Chavetz Chaim's son-in-law. And, and you remember the exam with the Rashi, the Rashi, and, and, and I got into the second level. It was an achievement. So, but it was much more than that. He came to Volushin, and he came to Volushin to stake a claim. And the description here is just, it's eye-catching, because it puts you back in time. And, and he explains that he had none of the small-town personality. Here he's coming from Vilna. Vilna already had the Strassum Library. It was the biggest rabbinic library in all of Eastern Europe at the time. Vilna had Maskelem Shomrei Shabbos, but graduates, Yehuda, of Bernard Revel Graduate School. You follow? It, it was a different type of fresh air than Velazhin. Much more open. Vilna had Rabbanim who knew mathematics and geography and history, but more than that, they knew how to dress. And he describes in Volusian, even the Rabbanim went around, their clothes not clean, didn't fit properly, their hair was not combed, there was Tamit, and in Vilna, Tamit Hayu, Pogadim Nikiyim, Kimat Maguhat Sim, Sha'aratav Sadurat Lo, 
and and a chilim de chavost show, they were dressed properly. It's uh, you know I go around them. My you're a slob. What do you look like? This how. I've heard people at the Colto when I had my minion there for 46 years when my feet carried me, so I hear people whispering, that's Rav Rakefet. Where's his beard? Where's his face? Where's his dignified clothes? Where's his rabbinic hat? You understand? And, and, and he's coming from Vilna. And, ah, the, now, now you have to come to the students. The students, and this is part of being young, part of being collegiate. Uh, if I, I once, I, I remember I was speaking to Mr. Deanstock. Anyone recognize the name Jacob Deanstock? He was the head librarian in Mendel Gottesman Library. He was very close to the road. He was the gig, biggest expert in the world on literature written about Maimonides. So one time when I was doing my research on Revel, I interviewed him, he yet knew Rabbi Revel, knew the children, and I was speaking with him about uh, what is a fact. I, I heard it about Penn, then I found the documented newspapers, 1905, Rabbi Revel was a Buddhist in his youth. He was in jail. 1905, Russia, revolutionary period. The minute he got out of jail, he said, that's it, he left Europe to join. He had half-brothers in America and relatives running away. So I remember Mr. Deanstock said to me, he said, Arnold, if you weren't a communist in your youth, you had no youth. And he gave me a list of Gidole Yisrael who had Bundist tendencies in their youth. I, again, I can elaborate and explain it in depth, but it's not for now. Uh, so the, the students, this man comes to the Lushen and he starts to claim that he should become the Rosh Yeshiva. He's also part of the family by marriage. And... Rafid is very ill and soon will die. And then it save is old fashioned. Look at his and the students see the man, see his clothes, see the dignity. Many students say, Yoshua Lab, that's our man, that's the way we want to be, that's the way we want to grow up. We want him for Rosh Yeshiva. More than that. And here's a beautiful eyewitness description. You came to the home of uh, Rabbi Fried. You remember the stories about Rabbi Chaim Kenevsky, about Rav Shach. Uh, what did they sleep on? Old-fashioned beds. Barely a, a good mattress. Where did they eat? How much furniture? There was no Olam Hazah. You came to Rabbi Yeshua Leib's home and his father was a wealthy businessman. Ah, luxury, dignity. They described the wives that uh, you came to the Nitziv's house, you heard his wife with a shrill voice, hoarse, commenting, 
yelling. She came to Rabbi Yeshua Leib's wife, young woman, dignified, dressed, modern fashion. See, it's very attractive. I recall here the memoir, Louis Jacobs. Did I mean anything to you, Louis Jacobs? Well, so no responses. Shows me how time moves on. Louis Jacobs was a tremendous scholar, Talmud Chacham, academician, but he had conservative tendencies, historic school. Talking about England, he was logically should have become chief rabbi after Rabbi Hertz, but some of his publications revealed this conservative with a large C tendency. So he was not elected chief rabbi. And uh, until today, you'll meet people from London, old-timers will say, the greatest mistake we made was not to elect him chief rabbi. And others will say, fanaticism kept him out, that should have been. And others will say, no, they were justified. He remains a controversial character. But among his publications, there's a a bit of a memoir. So he describes he went to visit the Ragged Shava in Dvinsk. And the Ragged Shava, Gon Shava, Gonim. And he went to see him and talk with him and learning. All right, you're traveling to East Europe. You're going to be in, in Riga, in Dvinsk. And not to see the Ragged Shava Gon. And he says he couldn't believe. He comes in, the rocket shovel looks so wild. You've all seen his pictures, his hair, his payas. He looks so wild. And who cared about the way he dressed? And the rocket shovel introduces him to his wife. He almost fainted. Sophisticated, dressed, modern dress, up to date, <coughs> could speak many languages. And that was the rocket shovel's wife. He was blown away. By the way, the Rocket Shava later has a daughter who comes in Aliyah, uh, Rebetzin Citrin. Also, they tell me, very sophisticated, wonderful lady. And never, she went back to Europe. People went back at the very end before, you know, to save her father's writings. And she got stuck. Her husband was a rub in Petr Tikva. I don't believe she made it back. You can check it out. Tell me if I'm right or wrong. But I don't believe she made it back. The war broke out and she was caught there. So, you see, to the students, this was very attractive. Now, he would speak out. He wasn't shy. He wanted the Russia Shiva ship. I'm better than the Nitzv. I can learn like the Nitzv. I'm as firm as the Nitzv. But I'm modern, I'm up to date. We need new type of Rabbanim. Now, you have to understand what's going on now. Alexander II was Tsar. Uh, we're talking about a Tsar who was more pro-Jews than previous and Tsars afterwards. Nevertheless, he was the Tsar, and this is the age of fermentation and there were attacks on the Tsar. They were trying to kill him. Jews were executed for being involved. And he would speak out to the students. 
Rabbanim have to take a stand on issues like this. Rabbanim have to speak out. Why is Dinitziv silent? Why are these rabbis silent? We need a new type of Torah rabbi who's with it and knows what's going on and is part of the culture beyond him. Sounds familiar? Yes, exactly. Rabarin goes to Lakewood, away from New York, Lakewood. No, he checked that there's no college, no university near Lakewood. Uh, and that was done on purpose. That wasn't by chance. Why you? You're in the heart of the world. Manhattan. Shiva University. Two, two subways come to Washington Heights. I hope you know what I'm saying. Washington Heights was farmland. When they developed the subways, the 8th Avenue, the 7th Avenue, Washington Heights is part of Manhattan. You're in the center of the world. What a difference. In Lakewood, I once bought a New York Times on Friday. I write about this in Washington. It was one of the factors that pushed me towards why you. I bought a New York Times, whatever it cost. It was a lot of five cents was money for me. I was a poor kid. I found my New York Times in the garbage pail, ripped up. New York, in the middle of a dresser, the rub would quote the New York Times. Not once, not twice, but time and again. Reb Moshe read the Yiddish paper, cover to cover. My news, my contact with the world, it's a whole different approach. But Rabbi Yoshua Heschel was very, very attractive to the students. Now, more than that, one time he comes into the yeshiva, and this is when he first arrives in the Lashon, Rabbi Yitzhak Eliezer Fried is saying his shia. Well, he starts questioning him and challenges him. And finally, Rabbi Yitzhak Eliezer Fried in anger says, no, you should say the shir. And Rabbi Yeshua Heschel gets up and says the shir, and he's no pilpul, and he's, again, it's the difference in approach, and, and more exacting with academia thrown in. Many students, not all, many students loved him. This was a challenge. Now the Nitziv is coming out of his shell, out of his seclusion. He's now also a Shushiva, and he's more, more important than Reb Yitzchak Eliezer because he's healthy. And Reb Yitzchak Eliezer is about to die in 1853. He only survives his father-in-law by four years, 1849 to 1853. So the Nitziv gets very upset and says to Rabbi Yeshua Heschel that this is chutzpah, chutzpah what you did. So now what happens, he doesn't come to the yeshiva anymore, but in his own home, and he had space, he was wealthy, had the room, 
I live out of one room, basically. I always describe my apartment, which I can't believe how much it's worth, because, uh, Aaron, you're going to have to go all over Passaic, and you're gonna, you may not find a house that's worth as much as my one room, with, I call it three closets for bedrooms, and one room I can show you. I, I wrote tense for him. And I just finished the fourth chapter of my scribblings on Rabbi Revel uh, yesterday, so it's a bit of a simcha for me. Have to. Have to excuse me. Rabbi Belkin, no. Rabbi Belkin, excuse me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good to have you back, Ben. Thank you. Uh, and and your name is Turim, and there was a famous actor, Judy. What, what was her name, Judy? Tovim, I have to check it out, an, an actress, and I found out she was Jewish, and her name came, oh, Judy Holiday, excuse me, Judy Holiday, famous actress, how do you know the name, it's the 1930s, the 1940s, so uh, this famous actress, I heard was Jewish, not just came from a real Jewish home, so I, I went to Wikipedia, I found out her name was Tovim, Yamin Tovim. And when Hollywood said Tovim is not a good name, she chose Holiday in honor of Yamin Tovim. Turim, Turim has to be your name. That's the good name. So he opened up in his house. Davening, a shear in the morning in Shas and Paiskin and is sheer at night in Chumash. Kenny, students came from Volozhik. Not everyone, but a nice crowd. Sheer at night in Chumash, you know what he would quote from the Sheer? The Be'ur of Mendelssohn. Start to show you what I'm talking about? <coughs> the openness, the broadness. Mendelssohn, who are we talking about? Moshe Mendelssohn, Beyur, Tachumish, written in Hebrew, originally many translations. That Beyur created so much controversy. Aaron, are you familiar with the Beyur? Sure. No. All right, so let me tell you something. You can go through the Be'ur, there is not one word of apikosis in it. But Mendelssohn was much too open, and tremendous opposition and tremendous support. Reb Chaim and Reb Yitzchak never criticized the Be'ur. They were much more moderate. And he quoted the Be'ur. If you go back and find it on why you Torah, one time a guy named Rakefet gave quite a few lectures on German Jewry and Mendelssohn. So I said something that's very interesting. I said, yes, the Beyur, it's not one word of apikosis, but there's very little Torah Shabbat. It stresses the Torah Shabbat. Follow me, Morty? Compare that to Rav Shunshin of Paul Hirsch. Rav Hirsch's Paris, written in German, filled with Torah Shabbat. Go to his Paris on Vayikra, 
No one in the world attempted to do what Rav Hirsch did. Why two Kshirim? Why seven? Karbanat, the numbers, always tried to find meaning. And his knowledge of Kadshim and Tarat, Spakin Shas, people say, was he a Talmud Chacham? Look at his parish and Chomesh. But he, the slant was different. The Malbim. So you can understand why there was criticism of the Be'or. But that's what Rabbi Yoshua Heschel taught. Now, then it Siv got very upset. Because he already sensed, you see, this secluded yeshiva boy started to become quite worldly. And he saw that if you don't snip it in the bud, if you don't stop what's going on, you will soon have a tremendous split in the yeshiva. And he knew what was going on. He knew who was coming and sneaking to hear the classes. So he announced publicly that anyone going to Rabbi Yoshua Heschel's classes in his house, no one is allowed to go to a private home in the Lushen. The learning, the davening, is in the yeshiva, in the Beit Medrash. No one going to a private home. And while the Nitziv is speaking, a chatzif, a student, gets up and challenges him. And the Nitziv tells him, we have to retain the yeshiva. And I can't tolerate that a third, a half of the students are going elsewhere. You belong here. You get a stipend from us. By the way, everyone now, you wear, I, I hope you're aware of this. This is very important that the yeshiva had control over the students at this time and for the next hundred plus years because every student got a stipend. These were poor kids from poor homes. We're not talking wealthy <coughs> kids who could say keep the stipend. So then it's just that we're going to throw out any kid who goes. So a chatzav gets up and says to the Nitziv, I'm quoting what he quotes word by word, Rebbe, you'll be the first one to go because you're the eldest. You follow? You'll be the first one to be kicked out. And the Nitziv slapped the kid in public. We're going to come back to these slaps. It's not the, the, the world doesn't shake on this slap. There's a slap that will come many years later in Volusion, which the world shook on. But this is how far the tension went. All right. Until now, it's not terrible. There's a fight. Partially L'Shem Shemayim. Uh, Rabbi Hoshua Heschel is convinced his viewpoint is right. The time has come to educate Rabbanim, who he uses the expression, not just Rabbanim for 
the people, but with the people, to understand the people, to understand life, to understand what's going on. All right, it's not like us. We can understand he's opening up, he sees his persona non grata in Velazhin proper, so he's opening up in his home. We can understand and it's civis upset. But at this point, it moves in to disgraceful behavior that you can't justify. Torah, you're at Shemayim, covered decorum, proper behavior. And it enters the base metrish. And this begins a tradition in Lithuanian yeshiva. The students may not be the bosses, but they certainly have a right to their opinion, to their vote. And when you're young, you shout, you scream, you're positive, you are totally correct. <coughs> And it enters the base metrish. And here we come to a story, a source that the art scroll will never repeat. But I find it very interesting because it shows us, thank God, sex is here to stay. We and and I said what I said yesterday. I stand on that we've lost the concept of sex. It's a terrible world kids in high school are having relations. There's no concept of Eshet Nurim. This is why we have so much divorce. It spills over even into our world. As you can see from all the Alonim and the religious newspapers here, at least in the Tzioni Dati world, how many articles are written every week how to work out a happy marriage. I've said a lot on this. It's on YU Torah. Many years ago, I spent the whole year on sex and marriage in the Monday class. But all right, sex is sex. So the Nitziv is speaking in the Shiva. Every morning after davening, he gave the shear in Chumash, the famous shear that becomes the Hameksha Elah. And the students start yelling, sounding out, David, do you know what I'm talking about? Who's Bucky in the Hamik Dava? Pasuk and Chumish Reshit Bet Pasuk Chafhei Vayihu Yu Shenehim Arumim Alright, wait a minute. It's a simple question here. Both of them were naked. Shnehem. Why do you need Adam They weren't ashamed. Follow me, Yehudadov. By Yushnehem of course it's Adam V'chava. Who are we talking about? And the Chumash says, Ha'adam V'ishtal. Good question. Then it Siv comments on it, Nahamek Dava. And why? The Torah is telling us, 
First of all, do you understand the question? It's a very good question. No normal person will walk around naked. Movie actresses, some will boast they never appeared naked in a movie. You follow? I, I don't want to comment further, but you can draw your own conclusions. Don't want to appear naked in a movie. But read my one literature, you'll see what I'm saying. Why? What's wrong with walking around naked? So we all understand there's a, sexu a certain modesty. We all are creatures of sex. If we wouldn't be creatures of sex, we wouldn't be here. It's an open Gemara in Yoma, an open Gemara in Sanhedrin. They searched for the Eight Sahara. Couldn't find it. Nothing. No one married. Eggs didn't lay chickens. Thank God we have sex. By the Medrash Rabbah told me Yod. The Yetzah Tov is only Tov. The Yetzah Haraso called for sex. Tov me Yod. Because that keeps the world going. So, there were different reasons why man and woman were not ashamed. And then it says, the man was not ashamed. I'm quoting him. I'll read him in a second. The man was not ashamed. There was no yet a sexual drive in the world. And yet, we know from the Chumash and the Midrashim that Rabbi Vachava did have sex in Gan Eden before they were kicked out. So what do you mean there was no sexual drive? Sex was no different than eating, drinking, natural, normative. It wasn't sex. It simply was another biological need. But it was not sex. That's what he says. El Adam Mahmat Shahayu Davuk Pishina Bahaya Eskobi Evereha Tashmish by the way, a guy named Rakefit said this exactly when I dealt with sex and dealt with this whole problem. Exactly. Only when you wait from the tree of knowledge did <coughs> sex become sex. But then he says, but a woman, she yet did not have proper knowledge. By the way, his attitude here is reminiscent of what we spoke about yesterday and the week before with Rabbi Nasha Klein. Reminiscent, uh, well, I can't say to Rav Deutsch, Deutsch is way over the line. But a woman wasn't mature enough to understand the sexual drive. So you see, this is the way the Nitziv explained it. Teenage students, young men, hormones are kicking. Of all the Nitziv's perishim, this is the one they wanted to remind him of. So now put yourself in the Beit Medrash in Volazhin 
Aaron, you're suffering. You feel the bizayon, the students, the loyet boshashu, and everyone in the Beit Medrash, yeah, sex, benetziv, his parish, the man, the woman, an absolute disgrace. More than that, this goes on and on in variant versions in the yeshiva world. They brought in ice, snow from the outside. They didn't have electricity. We don't realize how blessed we are outside of the Zoom ruling us. But look, we're sitting in a room. Did you ever see so much light? And I don't even have all the light. Oh, we, do we have all the lights on? Could be. Could be. But take a look. Take a look. We're sitting in a room. Heat. Air conditioning. Wow. Those days, there were kerosene lamps. They brought in snow from the outside and <coughs> covered the lamps very quickly. Put something very cold on something hot. What happens, Morty? It cracks. So in the base Medrash, you're hearing bombs falling. Crack, 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 crack. And this is what they're doing in public. The supporters of Rabbi Yeshua Heschel get rid of the Nitziv. You don't belong here. More than that, they started writing letters to the supporters of the yeshiva. Remember we told you that communities all over Eastern Europe and well-known communities, Vilna, Minsk, sources of support, Shadarim, Shlichim the Rabbanan, trustees of the yeshiva, honorable positions. They didn't have that much power at all. But to be a trustee of a Russian, people give money for that. I don't have to tell you, anyone here ever raised funds involved in fundraising? Rabbi Revel used to tell Mrs. Revel when he got a big donation, C-O-D. Do you remember that? You're in baby pants. You used to get something in the post office sent, and you, you, you didn't have a visa. There were no credit cards. So cash on delivery. The post office used to collect the cash and take a certain, place uh, 5%, and the rest was go into the account of the person who sent you what you bought. You follow? COD, cash on delivery. Now, by real, come on and say to his wife, covered on delivery. They gave... They want covered. A trustee of a Russian? Wow. This is covered. <coughs> oh, they sent letters. But now, it went too far. And here you have to understand, there was an entire other element that comes into the picture. And come back to what I told you two weeks ago, three weeks ago. 
the whole city of Volashen evolved around the yeshiva. Why? It wasn't just that they were from Jews and proud to have the yeshiva and proud to hear the cold Torah day and night. More than that, the students rented rooms. Parnassa. The students paid for food. Parnassa. So you see, the crowd and the lunch and the balabatim, the lay people who supplied the needs of the yeshiva, became very apprehensive that we Shalom. The yeshiva falls apart. Part of our income falls apart. There'll be a down rating from Moody's. It's, it's inevitable. Backlash against Rabbi Yeshua Lape. More than that, with all the letters going out to the communities, then it's already here's what's going on. There are no secrets. He starts writing letters. And Rabbi Yeshua Leib's supporters, who delivers the letters? These were coachmen. Every week there was a different coach to Vilna, a different coach to Minsk. They went over to the letter sack and took out the letters. The Nitziv's letters never got there. They intercepted the mail. But the letters that Rabbi Yeshua Leib supporters sent created a storm. Because you're not living in a vacuum. You're living in a world around you where rabbinic seminaries have been formed by the government. Some of the teachers already are without, not within, are because you're living in a world where there's Bolshevikism and anti-Tsar and people leaving Torah, getting involved in murder, people being executed. Nothing works like tradition. And these people were furious because look at these letters, look what Yeshua Heshu wants to do. Before you know it, there's a new religion, there's a new culture, there are innovations, religion will break down. How did the reform movement begin? And you all know the joke, because they said you can put them twice. We say it twice until today. Why don't we say it only once? And... This innovation, his thoughts, rabbis, be with the times, be broad-minded, broaden the curriculum, change the traditional way of learning, this is not our cup of tea. And the Nitziv got tremendous support from 
the leading <laughs> East European communities. Now, there is one other aspect of this Machleket which I throw open because I don't know if you can appreciate what I'm going to say. Ben, in Lakewood today, do they have spies? I, I can't believe when you have 7,000 students or 8,000 spies. So let me tell you what I'm talking about. How did the Nitziv know what was going on? He had spies, students who were told, stand outside of Yeshua Leib's house, see who's coming in, see who's going in, see who's coming out. You have spies. When I learned in Lakewood, the story was told, tradition, that there was one student who disappeared every day for two hours. And Rabaran put spies on him. They found out he was going to an agricultural college, which was the only college within a short distance from Lakewood Yeshiva. What I said an hour ago, that Rabaran checked out, they shouldn't even, no one ever dreamt the Yeshiva boy would go to an agricultural college. Now, he probably went to the agricultural college because he became a Zionist and was going in Aliyah. I can tell you that uh, there was Bachad, Brit Chalutzim Datiyim, had a farm that I spent the summer at with Rabbi Rubin. We, we, we were working on the farm preparing for Eretz Yisrael. It's uh, quite an experience. But in Lakewood, they had spies. You can take the story and transfer it to a story that I know to be absolutely true. I lived it. It was in all the newspapers. Panovich is on the map. Rav Shach is now the figure, the Rosh Yeshiva. I don't know how well you know the Belgian community, Antwerp, especially Brussels, but Antwerp. And uh, there were people there who were from all right, they lived there, they made a lot of money there, the diamond industry. But they sent their kids, some of them on to Israel. Sometimes it had very tragic results. I, can't, I, I can entertain you for the next 20 minutes with some diamond dealer, merchant, wealthy individual who sent his daughter on to Beis Yaakov in Israel, one of the greatest mistakes that a person can make. Anyway, one diamond dealer there sent the son, Panovich. Now you take a kid from Antwerp with all the frumkai. It's not B'nai Brak. So the kid comes to Panovich and he knows how to learn and he's a learner. But they notice during the summer, every evening he's gone. They put two spies on him. And Rav Shach had gone up to Tzvat now, summer, to, to run away from the heat of B'nai Brak. Tzvat is colder than Jerusalem. Mountains. Rav Shach is in Tzvat. Do you remember the story? It was in every newspaper of the mid-70s, I would say. Rav Shach is in Tzvat, and they call him, call the Rosh Yeshiva, Rebbe. The spies have returned. 
he is going to Tel Aviv University and taking courses there during the summer. Rav Shach is hysterical and orders the student, this was on Thursday, to come up to Tzvat. Friday morning he comes into Rav Shach's office in Tzvat, where he's learning, and Rav Shach turns his back to him and says, Russia and throws him out of the yeshiva. Kid Friday contacts his father in Antwerp, tells his father he was thrown out, he's going to Tel Aviv part-time, summer. Sunday morning, his father and the chief rabbi of Belgium, of Antwerp, uh, a name escaped me from Chicago. Kreisworth. What's his name? Rav Kreisworth. Rav Chaim Kreisworth, thank you. Rav Chaim Kreisworth and the father of the kid appear before Rav Shach and the father writes out a check. You know, this signs the check and tells the Rosh Hashiva, put in whatever amount you want, but don't throw my son out. Charlie, Kalakavalta Rav Shach, he ripped the check up in front of them and threw the kid out. But here there's, David, here there's a happy ending. That kid became a very prominent Mizrahiite, a very successful lawyer in the state of Israel. The girl I told you about, the lady, who was my dear student after I cry when I think how they messed up her life. The ending is not so good. But you see, spies are part and parcel. Letters will come to this with the out of Slabatka. If you're a Rosh Hashiva and Yesi, a letter comes in to you, a letter comes in to Max. What, the kids studying here? A letter, S-W-A-K on the envelope in back. You know what that stands for? God, these guys are out teaching innocent babes. BMT guys, sealed with a kiss. Though, do you intercept the letter? You're a teacher, mechanic. In yeshiva, they intercepted letters. I would never, ever intercept a letter. And when I would see that SWAK, Charlie, the reasons I was successful in BMT, I would say, tell your girlfriend it's wrong. SWASK, sealed with a spiritual kiss. Got it? Baruch Hashem. That shows them the Rebbe is not inhuman. I understand young people, boy, girl, thank God. I'm a great believer in B'nai Akiva. A great believer at a wedding like Rav, like you're Rav, from where you come from, Rav Boyer's Psak, if you have to have separate seating, not the single people. Not the single people. He knew what he was saying. But, uh, wow, spies. But this too. You have it here, and you have it later, time and again in the history of yeshiva intercepting letters. No, give me the most famous example, Ben, of the letter intercepted. Rabarin Kotler. Rabarin Kotler, his sister. 
We're sending him letters to get him to come to Warsaw, to Moscow, to, to, to be a student in university. And the out of Slabotka intercepted the letters. Didn't show him the letters. And by the way, Rabaran was angry, you know that. And he already was on the way to university. And Rev. Ruben Gazowski. Rev. Ruben, that's why Rabban was always makatayva to Rev. Ruben Gazowski. All right, what a world. Rev. Ruben Gazowski's granddaughter is married to Rabban Lichtenstein's son. Fascinating world. The Rosh Yeshiva of Torah Vedas. His wife is a Krasovsky. I learned in Lakewood with the Prime Krasovsky. Unbelievable. Ravaran also intercepted a letter to uh, Rav Ruderman telling him that his father is a nifter. Uh, and so you see, so you shouldn't become an Avo. The, the author didn't want Rav Ruderman to become an Avo because he was on a special program to you know, finish out very quickly. And he didn't want him to interrupt his learning. Right. He would, so, so he didn't tell him. Uh, and uh, I, I, as far as, I never heard that Rabudin resented that. He didn't resent it. I don't think so. Uh-huh. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. But you see, this all begins in Volashen. Could you imagine in the Beit Medrash, Voloyed Boshashu... And 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 when and when the Nitziv would make Havdalah, he says this too, and you would hear from all the support of Yeshua, Ha'esh, fire, machloket. You follow? Esh, in the Beit Medrash. All right, the end of the story is very simple. The Nitziv was the Rosh Yeshiva. I don't know if a head count was ever taken, but among the students there was a lot of support, a lot of appreciation for the Nitziv. Not everyone in Volosian at this time was interested in rebelling and becoming modern and a modern Rav. Not everyone was impressed by fancy clothes and beautiful dresses. There's the opposite point of view. In addition, the support of all the cities was in favor of the Nitzv. Gedoli Israel were apprehensive about innovation. You know how you begin. You don't know how you're going to end. And this is always a challenge in life. And at this point, there was a much more conservative with a small C feeling. Also, <coughs> the Nitziv had Chazaka. He was there first. He was the first son-in-law. This individual comes along, it's a second marriage. All right, he's now the son-in-law of the son of Reb Chaim. But the Nitziv was there first. And all these reasons amalgamated and Rev Yoshua Leib moved on. Now let me just finish let me just finish off the class. You see, there's certain personalities, and then it sense this about Rev Yoshua Leib. Again, I'll use myself as an example. When I taught 
in, I started teaching in BMT in 1969. I never thought BMT would end or I would stop teaching there. There was a, revol a revolution in uh, the Jewish agency. The reform and conservative took over. They reached the conclusion, why do we need BMT and gold? There are now many private schools. Why should we waste all this money on running two orthodox schools? So the word went out that they were slowly going to close down BMT and gold. So I couldn't believe it. Uh, Rabbi Horowitz calls me in. My dear friend, we'll talk about him in class. A book will be coming out. I'll do something big in class. Be'ezrat Hashem. Soon. Uh, the minute I get the book, we'll work out a date. And, and he says to me, Jewish agency is offering a deal, early retirement, uh, benefits. I look at him. And he says to me, grab it. Moshe told me to grab it. And I think I had 19 years in in BMT. I grabbed it. I listened to him. I never would believe the man I had to go see who ran the money for the Torah Culture Department later where Machatanim, his granddaughter, marries my grandson. Very beautiful marriage. Years later. So I tell Mr. Jacob, Yaakov Adler, was the money man, if you recall. He used to come around. So he's still alive, should live and be well. He's not, you know, he can't, he's not mobile so much, but he's alive, his mind is good. Has the biggest Haggadah collection of any individual in the state of Israel. He keeps one apartment just for the Haggadah. You follow me? It's a Mishagas, but that's his Mishagas. My Mishagas is teaching and writing and Baruch Hashem. So, uh, I, I am now retired, and I say, no, I must end off teaching in BMT 20 years. It's not nice, less than 20 years. So the next year, I taught for next to nothing. They laughed at me, because there's all types of rules. You're retired. We can't pay you a regular salary. I got... But 20 years I taught in BMT. 18 years in Mahongold. I'm sitting in my office. Must be 20 years ago. Don't want to mention the name. A very prominent other institution in the state of Israel. The head Tancho says to me, Rebarin, you come teach for us, leave YU, two times your salary. I'm not interested in why you was paying it. You agree to come? Show me your salary, we double it. I can't. I told them I was born in YU, I grew up in YU, I live in YU, I breathe YU, I love YU, the YU that I know. I don't know what YU is today. That's a different story. See, but that's my personality. Then I can tell you, I know someone so capable Talmud Chachem, Talmud of the I don't want to mention his name, but it's I'm not. It's his personality. I'm not saying anything negative, but still, PhD from Bar Ilan, brilliant individual, 
married to a student of mine from the first class I taught in Mahongol. There were 31 girls from that class. I taught women for 31 years from that class on. She was in that class. He jumps from job to job. He succeeds, but he can't stay there long. It's his personality. He's, he's a rabbi of a shul here in Israel. No. Dean of a teacher's seminary here in Jerusalem. No. Founds a whole yeshiva. Don't want to mention where you'll identify it. <coughs> moves on. Now too, he moved on. Moved back. His personality. Didn't give sense that uh, Rabbi Yeshua Heschel, that was his personality. And he moved on and he went from job to job. There was a Magad Meisharim and a Rav and, and ultimately Eastern Europe fenced him in. He was not made for Eastern Europe. You know where he wound up? His final position? Tell me. We spoke about it last week. Who wound up in France? Paris? Rabbi Israel Salanta. He left Germany at the end, went to Paris for a while, then came back. They died in Eastern Europe. The end of his life, he was in Paris as well. You know who took his place? Rabbi Yeshua Heschel Levine. His final position was in Paris. And this was indicative. This was the man my dear students, Aaron, how is your mother? Is there any improvement? Or? I was very happy to see that she looks happy. Okay, okay. This gentleman's father and uncle were my dear friends in Yeshiva Salanta going back to the early 40s. His grandfather was ran the shul on yes. Shabbos. Your grandfather ran the shul. He was a balabas with avatatora and loving youngsters and loving continuity. And don't let anyone tell you no good came out of the blacks. Okay? And, and I just ended off the fourth chapter that the new the new edition it's a whole chapter on what Rabbi Belkin did expanding the university but there was one new addition to the Judaic studies and you know where it began on the basketball court in the Bronx it's Marvin Hershowitz Stewart Clinton at City College one year all city top basketball player and Libo Hushka Batora and he comes, Reb Sarachek, the coach, finds out a top basketball wants to come to Yeshiva. He goes to Belkin, Belkin says, what, what can I do? He has no background. The Kalmatora graduate. Do something. Save us. It'll bring in money. Belkin picks up a phone to Rabbi Baston, and the rest is history. 
Okay, that's uh, don't be so proud of Chicago. The Bronx did something in its time. All right, what do we do today? Take care, take care, and best regards. Um, what, what, and to your sister as well, my student from Macongo. Don't, don't forget, don't forget. Uh, what do we do today? Okay, first of all, I apologize that the Zoom is enough to drive you crazy, but uh, we got to live with it. Uh, that's life. I thank everyone for coming. I, uh, yesterday you wanted to yield, so it was a fairly empty room. Today we were, we're, we're almost overcrowded here. Uh, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I hope I did a very honest lecture, very important to understand. And you'll see how this colors, this explains, tells with the explosions Slabotka, what went on there, the Muslims, the anti-Muslims, the fighting. Ah, oh, it all goes back. But we're not finished with, we, we are, we're not even finished with this little chapter in Volusion. I pick up next week, you'll see it's uh, crucially important, but let's go schlaf schlaf. Are there any questions? Ben, what's troubling your smalling face? Very quick comment. You mentioned Rabbi Louis Jacobs. Right. I'm reading from Wikipedia here. Sachs with Rabbi Sachs, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs would later draw some criticism when he and his base then prevented the retired Rabbi Louis Jacobs, who had helped establish the British branch of the Sarathra movement, from being called up to the reading of the Torah on the Saturday before his granddaughter's wedding. Right, right, right. No, the Rabbi Sachs held the line. But that was Rabbi Louis Jacobs. But I, I, he wrote a memoir, and I loved how he goes to the rocket shovel, and like he's overwhelmed, the most modern, the rocket shovel looked like he was from ancient history, right? You, you couldn't read that. And his wife, up-to-date, sophisticated. But that's why he could be the rocket shovel. She ran the house, she was in charge of public relations, and he could be the rocket shovel. Okay, Yomo, uh, yes, Yehuda Dov. What was Rabbi Yehoshua Heschel's role in, uh, in the student protests? Uh, no, he, he encouraged it. He wanted to be Rosh Yeshiva. He didn't go to the Yeshiva and fight, but he became persona non grata. The only time that in the yeshiva his presence was felt was when he came, first arrived in Volusian and he hears from Yitzhak Eliezer what I said in class, and he tells him, I can give a better shir. I don't like your approach. It's pilpal, it's cold. And Eliezer Yehuda gets upset and says, no, if, if you're not satisfied with my shir, you should give the shir. And he gives the shir. And then the Nitzvah tells him, you're a chutzpan. How did you do that in the yeshiva? So he never came back. He opened up in his own home. But he, he's the Baal Dover. He's the instigator, ultimately. He's the Avia Votatuma, if you look at it from the Nitziv's point of view. You follow? Why didn't the Nitziv just kick out the students from the yeshiva? That <coughs> Why didn't he kick out? Yeah. He did. He kicked out the top ringleaders. But you don't kick out 40, 50 students. You're talking about uh, two, 100 students at this point, 100, 200 students. But you don't kick out a quarter of the yeshiva. Ultimately, the ringleaders were kicked out. And many of these people went on to become uh, big maskilim. Uh, many went on to become fighters against the Tsar. Well, you'll see how Torah develops. There's a good reason Rabbi Rebel wound up in jail in 1905.
You follow? And th this was the atmosphere, this was the climate. Yomo, can you open it up to the world if there are any comments? We have to finish because uh, Rabbi uh, Bednash is coming in. Right? There's another shir here today, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <coughs> Recording stopped. Uh, Levy, I just want to tell my brother, I got what you sent me. Very interesting. And Ein Hachinami, there's Rabbi Revo praising uh, President Abraham Lincoln. Very fascinating. Uh, any questions from around the world? No questions? I want to... Yeah, Ma, uh, Jack? I didn't want to interrupt you. You were bouncing with Yeshua Leib and Yeshua... Heschel. Yeshua Leib. Heschel. Because you sometimes say Yeshua Leib. If I said Yeshua Leib, it's not right. It's Yeshua Heschel. But most times it's Yeshua Leib. That name in Yiddish carries... Aye Leib, Yoshua Leib, yeah. But uh, thank you, Heschel, it's Heschel. Hey uh, Shin Yud Lamed is the way it's spelt in, in Hebrew. Okay, and I, I want to thank everyone for honoring me with their presence. Uh, and I just, we should only have the Sora Tovat on all levels. Everything I said months ago already is Halacha Lamaisa. I can't get over it. I'm, 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 I must be the, the stupidest person alive because it's it's mamish neviut shotek cotton. I remember when I spoke on Beit Shemesh, I said we have, I, at the end I spoke about the big problem of the army, and people looked at me. What problem? When? Oh my! Is that in the headlines today? Even today's paper, I heard in the radio already quoting this morning at 6 o'clock. They're quoting, wow, all right, if we can find a solution. it's go I heard already some interesting solutions being proposed uh, by the army itself. So maybe we'll find the solution, but the Haredim have to be willing to cooperate. And uh, th that's only one part of it, but... The stress on the Hatzlichana today, wow, it's exactly what I said four months ago. And do we need that Anna Hashem Hatzlichana? All right, Besrat Hashem, I only hope it won't be another Hayatis. We'll have a pause and again a war. We're entitled now to have peace at Beit Nashich Zetkenu Bimcherubi Amenu. Thank you so much for joining me until we meet again in health and happiness. Tatsvidanya.